Hello, and welcome to a special mini episode of Talking in Shul, a roundtable podcast. I'm your host, Tamar Fox, and I've got Zahava Stadler joining us from Toronto and Mimi Lewis joining us from Cambridge. Hi, friends. Hey. Hey, Tamar. So we are here today to talk about how uh, coronavirus has changed so much in the whole world so quickly, but in particular, it's changed our Jewish lives. And so I wanted to talk with both of you about what um, that has looked like for you and how you're doing. So I thought we'd start with just talking about how you're doing. Zahava, how are you doing? Um, I'm okay. I feel like every time I talk to somebody about how we're doing, we all start out by saying that we're okay, and then we end up talking about death. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's it's an odd conversational sequence. Um, but like, I personally am all right. And as we were talking about before we hit record, I usually work from home. And so in a way, maybe I feel a little less destabilized than some other people. Mimi, what about you? How are you doing? I'm also doing okay. Um, I am. Yeah, it's just it's so weird. I think this is week three for us of working from home staying home, trying to limit everything. And I think last week I was in this like, oh my gosh, there are all of these silver linings. It's so great in some ways. And this week I'm just like, this is not sustainable. I feel like I'm working really hard. I work with older adults, as you all know, and oh my God, the trauma and the anxiety is just... It's really crippling for me, just as like the recipient and the holder of it for some people. It's just, yeah, I think I am very much looking forward to weekends and some time with Passover, just not to have the expectation that I'm in touch with my clients. Ooh, that sounds really, really intense. Intense. It's crazy times. Yeah. How are you, Tamar? I feel like I am doing very well under the circumstances. Like, I feel super lucky that I already work from home. My partner already works from home. So, like, we weren't making that transition. And the big thing that's hard right now is, like, we also are doing childcare full-time, which is, like, <laughs> there's a reason that... <laughs> that our children go to school and it's because it's very difficult to do your whole job and also um, be present for for children. So that part's really hard. Um, but I mean, even that, it's like, it's very relative. <laughs> I feel like it's challenging, but I'm fine. We're all healthy and safe and you know, we have a big enough space that we can spread out a little bit and not be on top of each other all the time. Um, you know, not worried about food or anything. I feel like it's very interesting to feel both like a, so much intense anxiety about the world and everything that's happening and also so much gratitude. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that is... Is, it's just a, a strange, I mean, I think it's important. I, I think about, I think of myself as someone who's very good at the kind of gratitude giving in my life and being very aware of how lucky I am. 
but usually it doesn't make me feel this bad. <laughs> like right now, I think I feel very lucky um, and, and grateful for what we have, but also just like very aware um, of how perilous the situation is for so many people, both with their health and with their livelihood. Um, I've been thinking a lot about people who, you know, are healthy but have lost their jobs and don't know how they're going to pay for for basic things. So that's scary. So that's kind of like the base level of how we're all doing. But um, I'm also, I think for me, one of the things that has been most destabilizing about this is that it has just like completely upended my Jewish life. So much of my life as a Jewish person is about being with community um, and physically being with community. Like I'm in, I'm a part of some kind of like online Jewish communities, but they're like fun email lists or <laughs> Facebook groups. They're not like a place that I really go for a lot of support and to, and for a lot of like real connection with other people and to not be able to like go and daven with my friends on Shabbat. And, and by daven, I mean, stand in the back of shul and talk with my friends and daven <laughs> occasionally. Um, <laughs> not for nothing. This podcast is called Talking in Shul. Um, <laughs> and also like Shabbat afternoon, spending a few hours in the playground while all of our kids play and all the adults hang out. Like that is a really big part of my week and not having that um, has been it's, it's not right to say that it's been hard, but it's been sad. Like it, it makes things, it, it makes me sad and I, I really miss it. Um, and yeah, so anyways, how, how about you, Mimi? You know, it's interesting for me. I think that I'm so much less consistent about going to shul and I do feel very connected to Jewish community and Jewish resources online. So for me, this hasn't been as destabilizing in terms of my Jewish life as I know it has been for a lot of other people, including you, Tamar. I think, um, you know, there's certain pieces like inviting people over for meals on Shabbat, going for walks with other people, um, certainly Passover, which we'll get to a little bit later in this conversation, those things are missing and feel very big in my life. But in some ways, their absence just highlights the absence of all social gatherings. It's not so much about the Jewish peace for me. And actually, because... I think I've been very connected to Jewish resources online and always found that to be fulfilling in a certain way. In some ways, I feel like there's a lot more Jewish content and thinking for me right now than there probably would have been without this crisis. Hmm. Because hmm. I'm doing a Zoom Kabbalat Shabbat or a Zoom Havdalah that never would have been offered in my community, but Kabbalat Shabbat and Havdalah were both times that it's hard for me to get out of the house because of a baby. Like, 
now I'm, I am connected or just reading Passover supplemental pieces that are really thought provoking and inspiring that I, I wouldn't have been searching for. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. Sava, what about you? It feels like a, a lot of the Jewish difficulties I'm experiencing have to do with crowd out, like um, that, you know, if we were still planning on spending seders with my family, which we're not at this moment, um, beyond the immediate family that lives in this apartment, um, and if I were not sort of scrambling, trying to cook for Pesach for the first time or figuring out what to do under adverse circumstances or dealing with the ups and downs of childcare issues, that I might be able to do a little bit more spiritual and intellectual preparation for the Seder. But instead, I'm just not right. It's all trying to sort of make things work. Um, so I I mean, it is interesting like I think the people maybe that are experiencing the biggest dissonance when it comes to inability to go to shul are I don't know if this is fair to say but I I would suspect that it's people who are daily minion goers and who consider that to be a really important part of their Jewish identity and you know it's interesting I live in a neighborhood where um I'm part of a modern orthodox shul but there's also people from more right-wing orthodox communities um where there are many, many people who would without fail be going to Minion every day and things like that. Um, and I have seen um, on community listservs that are um, that are used also by members of the more right-wing community, um, strong urging from the rabbis in the area that this is more important than Minion. Don't have a private Minion in your house. This is more important than a family Seder. Don't get together with grandparents. You are underestimating the dangers. Like, I think that there's a lot of people who um, are experiencing a lot of dissonance because there's a sense of what it means to be a good Jew that they can't realize right now. Yeah. I don't know that I have quite that experience. Um, it's sad for me. Honestly, the hardest thing for me um, in the last few weeks has been trying to navigate the situation around um, uh, around Tahara HaMishpacha, like the, the family purity laws that have to do with um, going to the mikvah um, after getting your period <laughs> and the logistics and anxiety that that attached to the concept of sharing a bathtub with anyone <laughs> right now, functionally speaking, um, and what that means have been really, uh, really anxiety inducing and really scary. Um, and really just, that's been a constant co- a conversation with a lot of people I know that are dealing with this. Um, because anybody who, um, who observes this area of halacha in the traditional way, it is a very high stakes thing. Um, and not an area where there's a lot of room for big leniencies and there's, there's a lot of leniency happening in other areas of Judaism. And this is just not one where rabbis feel like they have a lot of latitude and nobody really knows how to provide you with leniencies. And that's been an area of huge stress for me. So, um, it's been mostly in the realm of 
that and the logistics around that more than anything else, not so much about my spiritual experience or my communal experience. That is really stressful. <laughs> and and there, it sounds like people are talking about that sort of unofficially or there are like lots of blog posts out there. It's like how out are people about brainstorming what to do or figuring out what others are doing? I mean, when it comes to personal practice, I think everybody's just sort of like talking to each other in an informal way. But there's been a lot of formal community structural response in the sense that um, so the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association put out a lot of guidelines for mikvahs um, about what kind of safeguards they should be putting in place and how they should be changing practices. Um, and they're so Yoatzot Halacha, who are female halachic advisors that specifically specialize in this area, um, have been holding webinars for people about how they should prepare, how they should self-screen um, before going. Um, there were, all, you know, and I did actually wind up going and using a mikvah during this time. And there were many, many safeguards in place that aren't usually there. But they did that because people still got to go. Um, and I've, you know, I was, the thing is, there's no way to feel comfortable. A, a leadership person in my community asked me some, you know, what do I think we should be saying to help women feel comfortable using the mikvah? And I'm like, there's no way to feel comfortable because if they're doing the things they need to do to make you safe, then it's incredibly disconcerting to experience. Walking into a mikvah and seeing the attendant wearing a face mask up to the eyes and being told that you uh, hear slippers, don't let your feet touch the floor of the mikvah room. And uh, we've taken out all of the combs and brushes because you should do absolutely everything at home and touch nothing. And here's the screening questions that you have to answer at the front to make sure you don't have any symptoms that you're bringing to other people. And, you know, sign this declaration and we'll track which room you used in case you get symptoms later so that we can trace it back like all of that is really important and also really freak out inducing to experience right the fact that you are putting yourself in a situation where all of that is required is very very anxiety inducing um and then there's the question so i wound up um going to the mikvah later than would have been halakhically scheduled by several days because I was waiting to make sure I didn't have a cough that would be problematic because you don't want to bring any symptoms to a space where other people are going to be using it as well. And I spent the better part of a week freaking out about the possibility that I might infect other people. I waited. I spoke to my doctor. I got permission. I was, I felt I was able to honestly answering the screening, screening questions. And then I went and I'm like, oh, if I'm not the problem, now I'm worried about other people infecting right. me. And it flipped. Um, it was only once I got there that I was like, oh, God, I hadn't even been thinking about that half of it. Oh, crud. Like, um, so, you know, all of that, there's a lot there. It feels very weighty. Um, and I've had a lot of, you know, I've had more than one friend say, there are so many leniencies out there right now. We should really be canceling this. Like, we should really be like, why is nobody talking about making this not required right now? Why aren't we closing the mikvahs? And I'm like, I hear you. This is the most stressful thing I have experienced personally as relates to this particular crisis. But I literally don't think anybody feels they have the authority. Like, 
biblical commandments are just not waivable in this way. And like, nobody's like, under the circumstances, pork is cool. Like, <laughs> that is functionally the biblical equivalent if this is something that you think is, uh, you know, an operative biblical mandate. And so nobody really knows what to do other than put as many safeguards as they can in place and hope that everybody's being honest and responsible when they show up. Yeah. I know that was a long monologue. That's just where my head has been on this particular issue. No, that's fair. That's a lot. A friend of mine posted about going to like natural bodies of water as an alternative. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I know this is another tangent, but (laughs) I mean, it's possible. It's cold out there in Toronto and right I was gonna say it's April and Canada so <laughs> I mean also just like I don't know how many how many I mean not every natural body of water right. fits the bill but even I mean I don't know that I really want to go I don't know that I feel like immersing in Lake Ontario is going to make me feel yeah. healthier right now Good point. <laughs> yeah all right well we've already started to touch on this but um given that Pesach is right around the corner, I wanted to talk a little bit about what your sadarim are going to look like um, and how you're, how you're making do. Uh, Zahava, you already mentioned it a little bit, so I'd like to hear a little bit more. I mean, I don't really know yet. Um, I've, it's just going to be me and my husband. And um, that's been true of most of my dinners <laughs> recently. Um, and I think just, you know, what I said to him was, I want to make sure that he and I each prepare one or two divrei Torah, you know, things to share, because I don't want to feel just like I'm checking the box on this. Like, OK, we we did we did all the steps. We had a Seder like I want to feel at least a little bit like we're having the experience and not just the fulfillment of a requirement, but that's hard, you know, and my, um, my community, um, my shul has been doing a number of video conference classes in preparation for Pesach and things like that. And there's one going on right now, actually on having a Seder alone. Um, like, what do you do if you are the only person at the table? And I am very thankful that that isn't the case for me. Um, but that's, a lot of people are going to be having that experience and like the script literally includes questions and answers. Like the notion that you might be doing this alone is just not in the realm of Pesach possibility, I think. And here we are. Um, So I'm grateful that I'm not in that particular situation, but I think it's going to be bizarre. Yeah. What about you, Mimi? We're doing a little bit of Zoom with family members um, and planning. I think we're I, it, I think that we're planning on doing the first part of the Seder up till Magid with family via Zoom. And then we'll have our own meal and do the rest of the Haggadah, the rest of the Seder, just me and my husband Um And I'm really trying to look at it as an opportunity for us to infuse it with, we've never done this before. We've never had a Seder. I've never led a Seder. My husband's never led a Seder. And in some ways, that's an opportunity for us to take some ownership and do some thinking on our own. Um, 
and some creativity as well. Um, I was talking with a friend who described Jewish ritual and life cycle events as a time capsule um, and was saying, you know, someday we'll be able to say, remember that year that we had the Seder, just the two of us, and in spite of coronavirus, we were, we still, like, fulfilled this obligation, and I'm just trying to view it as, um, like, another area of rising to the occasion, even though it feels really overwhelming um, to think about doing this on our own. Overwhelming and sad, just so sad. Um, and yeah, I think Zahava, as you mentioned, I'm just really thinking about people who are doing this by themselves. Um, fortunately in my community, the Federation has created these Seder boxes that we're distributing to people who might not have a Seder plate. And somehow they're even including shank bones in all of these boxes, which I was impressed by. <laughs> um, so that's a lot I of know. shanks they had like, to bone. <laughs> how they, what butcher are they talking to? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there have been so many examples of organizations and people and communities rising to the occasion and I feel already heartened by what I'm seeing in my community of how we're gonna do this. Tamar, you usually host a Seder. I'm wondering, you know, this this isn't your first making a Seder experience. I'm wondering how you're thinking about it. Yeah, I, I'm really, really bummed to not be um, hosting a Seder. I really thought, I thought for longer than I probably should have that we might be able to make it happen um, in some way. Um, but yeah, it's going to be super, super weird. I mean, I will say that like one thing that I'm a little happy slash excited about is like, usually I have a like poster sized post-it up on the wall with like a insane list of all of the things that I have to do um, all of the cooking and prepping and everything before the Seder. And I'm really excited that like, I'm pretty sure given that there's going to be three of us that I can cook for the Seder in like two hours. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that, you know, the like kind of stress and, um, just like intensity that I often feel around getting to the seders I won't feel this year which is nice um and I I decided I'm still taking off like the whole day ahead to prepare just so that I can like chill um so that that's gonna be different and parts of it are gonna be nice but obviously like yeah it's super weird to have a conversation especially given that it's like you know having the whole doing the whole seder with someone that you don't see very often even if it was just one person could still be like really interesting and intense but it's like I'm spending all of my time with my partner now <laughs> so and <laughs> like you know I think it'll still be a good conversation but it's different it's not the kind of variety of voices that we typically have at our Seder table which is sad yeah. um but another thing is like I 
there's no circumstance other than this under which I would have like a, a Zoom Seder. But given that I already think that second days of Yontif are kind of stupid, I was like, I'm going to get on the bandwagon for the for a Zoom Seder on the second day or the second night. So um, a slightly nice thing is that, like, I haven't had a Seder with my immediate family or my dad and my sisters um, since I moved to Philadelphia. And this year I'll get to do it with them. Um, I mean, kind of. But... Um, but that's nice. I'm I'm happy about that. Um, you know, it's kind of like making the best of a not great situation. But I think it'll be good. And like I will say, the one other um, slight silver lining that I found is my four year old has been practicing the four questions. And this is like the third year that she's practiced the four questions. So she, you know, she still, I would say she's at like seventy percent. But she's familiar with them. <laughs> But in the past, like on the Seder night, she has just been like had a lot of stage fright. Like it's just really scary to do in front of like a bunch of people. And now it's like, mm-hmm. I think she'll do a decent job. because It's just going to be us. <laughs> so um, so that is cute and mm-hmm. exciting. Um, and like my dad will get to see it. And in general, you guys can focus on the teach your children aspect of the Seder in a much more focused way than you can when you're also playing host to a big group. That's true. Um, So hopefully that'll be nice. That's true. Usually when I'm planning for the Seder, I'm not planning at all for like making it a meaningful experience for my toddler. Um, And this year (laughs) that's the only choice. (laughs) So, (laughs) so I sure will be. So that part, um, will be good and I mean I guess like also it's just like there's all kinds of leniencies around um, food for Pesach which my family has already been like more inclined to do we've been using the list from kashrut.org for several years which is like a life-changing thing Um, and now I'm like are we really just going to the is it possible that the only kosher for Pesach branded ingredients that we will buy will be matzah and matzah meal (laughs) like (laughs) it may be that we don't you know especially given that we're like you know normally I'm buying I buy I I could easily spend a thousand dollars on Pesach food because food for my family for a week plus food for 15 to 20 people for two large dinners is like a lot of money a lot of food but this year it's like I will not be able to spend a thousand dollars on Pesach food this year. Um, and I'm thrilled about that. So yeah, I don't know. I, it feels like a really bad, sad thing, but I, I'm finding like weird pockets of like, Oh, like that'll be, Mm -hmm. that could be nice. (laughs) But I also, I'm just like, I just don't want this next year. Like, the only way I can get through this is by thinking like next year things will be back to normal. It's this year's equivalent yeah. of next year in Jerusalem. Next year together. It sure is. <laughs> next year in non-isolation. <laughs> yeah. One goofy thing that has come out of leniencies in this time um, is so because we have not done our own Pesach cooking before, um, we were planning to do some Pesach cooking this year, regardless of the situation, but we needed to buy new pots and stuff. We didn't have, you know, pots, knives, 
a spatula, whatever, cooking things for Pesach. Um, and we did purchase some things, but um, apropos of my earlier tirade, we have good reason not to be comfortable taking them to the utensil mikvah. So for those who aren't aware, um, it is um, uh, a halakhic expectation um, for those who, who practice this way that um, when you buy a new piece of cookware or food preparation or dishes or whatever, that you immerse them in a mikvah. This is not like a people mikvah where people go in super clean and there it's chlorine and it's lots of safeguards. This is like, you know, a whole bunch of people sticking their hands in the same bathwater. And that's like not a good idea at the moment. Um, and so we um, actually, even before we asked the question, the rabbi of our shul um, in a, an email about leniencies this year said, if you um, are buying new items and are not going to be able to immerse them in a utensil mikvah, um, you should declare them ownerless before Passover. Email me if wow. you need instructions. And, uh, <laughs> That's amazing. And I was like, okay. So I emailed and the instructions I got were, you must declare to three people um, email or social media is fine that you are declaring these items ownerless. They are, you have to truly believe that they are up for grabs. If someone who hears about this comes and seizes one of your pots, you must freely let it go because it's not really yours. Um, so the procedure is to make this declaration and then you have to bring the items outside for a few minutes so that they are available for the taking. Um, and then you may use these ownerless items without immersion because you only have to immerse things that you own before using them. So I sent an email to some friends. Oh, they have to be local people. They have to be people in your neighborhood Who so could. that they could reasonably come, come over and take your stuff. Understandably. Um, mm -hmm. Take not your stuff. So, so I sent an email to uh, three families in my neighborhood to let them know that we had purchased these pots and we're now declaring them ownerless just so that they should know that there are some ownerless things in the neighborhood. Uh, should they want to seize anything, I would be leaving them on my porch for a few minutes. And after that, they'll be in our apartment. So totally drop by and take something if you would like an ownerless Passover item. Um, <laughs> this is my favorite thing ever. So A, I got some great feedback and B, um, nobody took us up on it. So we still have these great ownerless items that we're going to be using. And C, it just it reinforced for me, like sometimes life is weird. Sometimes Judaism is weird, but the confluence of those weirdnesses, super weird. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> wow. That is amazing. Um, well, I feel like I've talked a little bit about some little silver linings and pockets of joy that I've found. And Zahava <laughs> just told us an amazing one. Mimi, <laughs> do you have a, <laughs> do you have any uh, silver linings or little moments of joy that you've found in all this? Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of my moments of joy have involved a lot more time at home with my eight-month-old and just like watching him explode developmentally and then finding ways to share that joy and in the momentness with other people um so at the at the apartment building where I work with seniors um I've been putting together these word games that I had done for a few years before and now on every one I include a little picture of the baby doing something ridiculous and just hearing their feedback like how much they look forward to this picture of a baby that they've never met is 
it's just wonderful. I mean, what parent doesn't like to hear from 80 grandmothers and grandfathers how cute your baby is? But also <laughs> to be able to share that um, has been amazing. And then, you know, I think that under normal circumstances, springtime always feels miraculous and like freedom in some way. But this year, going out for walks, especially on Shabbat, intentionally finding other Jews to see on our walks and enjoy the flowers together, just um, that's been really fun. I've really enjoyed locking eyes with strangers and people I know on our walks and just having this moment of connection. What a crazy world and what a beautiful world too. So, yeah. Well, I am so, so glad that we had a chance to to talk about this. Um, And it's been, I feel like I've learned so much and had some good laughs just in this brief conversation. So I'm really glad that we did it. Thank you to all of our listeners. We're wishing you and your loved ones health and safety in these frightening and difficult times. We will see you next month.